when we can articulate them to God, we can articulate them to others and ask for help as well. And so prayer, especially prayer out loud, helps it become not so insurmountable of a beast, whatever it is that's causing us anxiety. And it connects us especially to the one who has power to change everything. Our uh, house got broken into last night. Yeah. The only thing they took, though, was our limbo stick. Like, how low can you go? Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 182. I think I've used that joke before, but if I haven't, I hope you still enjoyed it either way. Uh, And if it's your first time listening, we start every episode with a dad joke, so don't worry. Our house is fine. But thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. So wherever you're listening, please do that. And visit our website, manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com. You can see all of our content on there. Click the subscribe button when you're there to get on our weekly email list for our psalm reflection that comes out every Wednesday. And also you can click the give button if you feel so inclined to become a financial sponsor of this podcast for as little as $1 a month. The highest compliment you can pay us is to share this with your family and friends. Best way to do that is either word of mouth or if you're going to do so online, do it on Instagram. That's where we're most active at Mana Food for Thought on Instagram. Tag us if you share anything. And thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for all of our patrons, our sponsors, all of our longtime listeners. If you haven't left a review in a while, it's a great chance to do another one. You know, you can do that. They don't limit it, I don't think. Anyway, uh, let's get into our joy junk and Jesus. My joy uh, this week is my parents were in town and they're actually going to be moving to the area. So they were looking at some apartments. They found one that they really liked. And the day they got home, they sent in their application. So uh, maybe even by Halloween or Thanksgiving, probably by Thanksgiving, my parents will be living within 15 minutes, which will be really cool. Um, so that's going to be awesome. Both sets of grandparents around our kids um, all the time, which is going to be really wonderful for them. It's That just makes such a difference, I think, uh, when children get to grow up really close to their grandparents. So um so that was really great. And also a joy is that today is my dear friend Katie's birthday as I'm recording this. She'll hear this after. Um, but just a happy birthday to her. She's um, someone I have the privilege of working with and that I've known for a long time. Really, really incredibly talented woman of God. And I'm so blessed to know her. So uh, special prayers for Katie today on her birthday. Um, my junk is that it's freezing cold in this room right now um, that I'm recording in. But um, also... I don't know if you get uh, feelings like this, but I just feel like the devil is really throwing stuff at me, but in a really shady, sinister way. There's just been a lot of little interactions and moments I've had over the past like week that I feel like the devil's trying to turn into these, these big things, these big mountains. And I'm just like, no, it's not happening. And it just keeps happening. There's these little like kind of irritations. Um, and yeah, it just seems that, I don't know if you ever get this feeling like something's brewing. Like some there's people out there kind of attacking you or um, what's the word when people aren't speaking well of you, maligning you or like, you know, slandering you out there. I feel like that's happening. I could just feel the spiritual weight of that. Um, and, you know, it doesn't, you know, people don't have to like me. I, you know, I don't really care about that. But uh, it just makes me wonder what the devil is uh, is doing through all of this, what he's trying to to do and um, makes me 
joyful and grateful for the good that must be going on in my life for him to be spending this much uh, time and attention to try and throw me off. So um, that's been a little not fun, just experiencing all those different little um, irritations and stuff, but God is good. Um, <clears throat> speaking of God, my Jesus moment this week, um, I don't know, I've, I've been having a lot of experiences in either giving talks or in spiritual direction or coaching where it's just clear that the Holy Spirit is inspiring something or speaking. I gave a talk on Sunday and I did not think I did a good job at this talk, let me tell you. And then after the talk, like I had so many people saying like, oh my gosh, you brought me to tears or like that was really well done, really powerful. And um, it's just incredible to see how the Holy Spirit shows up in moments where I really uh, feel like I didn't do well, which probably means like, good, I got out of the way so the Holy Spirit could do well. And um, and that's, I'm always so thankful to just be, be able to be a part of that, like to bring the Holy Spirit to people, even in my own weird, like um, messy ways. So uh, yeah, praise God. So let's get into our episode. Our episodes always focus on the second reading for the upcoming Sunday. This upcoming Sunday is the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. We're in the book of Philippians. Once again, this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, uh, and he is encouraging them in the different difficulties that they're having as a church community. The church of Philippi is very beloved to Paul, um, and he's writing to them while he's in prison. And so he's trying to encourage them. This is called actually an epistle, which means a letter, an epistle of joy, a letter of joy, even though he's writing from prison. Uh, and so we're uh, in the, uh, I think, final chapter of this letter this week when he's exhorting them, basically like, all the advice I've given you, here's basically what you need to do. And this is what he tells him. So this is the second reading. It's from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. This is what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, Brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I love this passage. This is uh, uh, Parts of this are often quoted, uh, especially this have no anxiety at all. Um, that phrase there, that reminds me very much of Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the section on dependence on God, verses 25 to 34, where Jesus is saying, uh, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Uh, look at the birds in the sky. Are they not more important than you? Um, if God clothes the grass of the field, which grows today, will he not much, uh, will he not much more provide for you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry. Uh, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself, uh, etc. So that's a great passage if you're feeling anxious. And I, I want to focus on that for a moment because I think I think one of the worst things for the church is grumpy, anxious Catholics. Grumpy because we are meant to have joy, 
Like, and if our faith isn't bringing us joy, then it's, it, why would, why would we compel anyone to believe it? Why would anyone be convinced to believe it? If you're a miserable Catholic, like who around you is going to be like, yeah, sign me up for whatever that person's doing. Like, sorry. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that everything in your life is going great, but our reaction, our attitude toward things should be different when we have the Lord and we have a real relationship with him. And so maybe it's a sign that maybe we don't have a real relationship with him if we get bogged down by the anxieties of life really easily. Again, this is not a guarantee that suffering won't happen, but it's a guarantee that if we have a real understanding of our relationship with God and what he's doing, that we can trust him in all circumstances. And that should lead us to joy. And then anxious Catholics basically give a sense that like, sure, I believe in God, but I don't trust him. Because if we really trusted God, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't be anxious. We would know that God has this under control. He's, he's obviously up to something good. Whether or not I can understand it or that I know what that is, that's a different matter. But like, do you, do you truly trust that God is with you, that he loves you? He knows what's going on. He already has a way out in mind and will always provide for you. That is what will compel us to be joyful, faithful, trusting Catholics. And those are things that people are attracted to. I mean, think about this. Paul, he's telling them, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. In everything. He's in jail. He's in prison, possibly going to die. And he's saying, don't be anxious. Just make your requests known to God. Just pray. In everything. Anxiety is something that initially is largely under our control until we let it become something that we can no longer handle. Okay? Because all anxiety stems from some lack of trust or lack of control or fear, which probably stems from a lack of trust or lack of control. And if we can recognize there's someone else I can trust, there's someone else in control, and we can step away from that fear, maybe that fear of mortality, maybe we need to be going to confession more regularly, actually keeping our temporal existence in mind that this time is limited and we shouldn't be sinning and doing things that might lead us to an eternal destination that we don't like. But essentially, like all anxiety comes from that willingness to recognize, or that, that unwillingness to recognize that I'm not in control or uh, I don't trust the situation. And so if we can step back and say, all right, like I accept the things that I cannot change or control. Then I think a lot of anxiety would be put in check. The reason why people struggle with anxiety is they then build these kind of self-fulfilling mechanisms in their mind. Their neural pathways start to learn that when I experience some kind of worry or struggle, that my, my textbook response, my go-to response is anxiety. And you can teach the body to do that. You can also teach the body to unlearn that to not shift to anxiety immediately. So anxiety, I, anxiety, I, I know this is said a lot about uh, depression, that it, it obviously has a correlation with certain neurotransmitters and things like that. Um, I think that also uh, can be helped with our perspective, our own control, diet, exercise, prayer, um, recognizing there is a component that can be played into it um, because of spiritual warfare that the devil can use that. But there is, a, there is a kind of neurological scientific reality to depression as well. I, I'm, I may be ignorant in this area, but I, I've never personally heard anyone say that about anxiety. That it's just some imbalance of neurotransmitters that makes you anxious. No, like 
I think it's pretty well known, like anxiety is a learned pattern of behavior that we become more susceptible to if we don't learn how to deal with trust, control, or fear. And then we build certain neurological connections that cause us to be anxious more easily in the future. But I'm very, very much a believer in the fact that we have a serious amount of control and influence over whether or not we experience anxiety. And Paul, here, in a moment where most people would be pretty anxious, in jail, possibly facing death, seems pretty chill. Why? Because he trusts in the Lord. He knows God is in control, and he knows no matter what, he will be taken care of either in this life or in the next, and God will be glorified. And that's all he wants. And so he has peace. And so when there's difficulties, when there are anxieties, these are the things that Paul offers as his solutions. And so if you're experiencing anxiety in some way, if you're experiencing difficulty in your life, I want to offer you these same solutions that Paul offers. He offers three things. He offers prayer, peace, and pondering. Okay, so we see, he says, have no anxiety at all, but in everything by prayer and petition, make your request known to God. So that's prayer. Then he says, then the peace of God will guard your hearts. And then he says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, etc. there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, ponder them. So prayer, peace, and pondering. What can we learn from these things? So first of all, if you're experiencing, experiencing anxiety, turn to prayer. Now, I, I'm not saying that if you just pray this, it will go away. You can't pray anxiety away. But what prayer does, first of all, it connects you to the God of the universe who, if you truly trust and truly believe is in control, can remove that anxiety of wanting to be in control or being afraid of what might happen because you know God is in charge. But secondly, what it does is it verbalizes the fear, the worry. We put something into words We don't let it stay trapped in our thoughts where it can run rampant and catastrophize and become this big giant monster that we can't explain or wrap our brain brain around. So I think when we pray, especially when we pray out loud and articulate, name our worries and our anxieties, when we name them, they become tangible. We have power over them. We can describe them. They don't become these amorphous, indescribable beasts inside of our minds that run wild but they simply are a word or a phrase or a sentence that we now have been able to articulate and have control over. And we, when we can articulate them to God, we can articulate them to others and ask for help as well. And so prayer, especially prayer out loud, helps it become not so insurmountable of a beast, whatever it is that's causing us anxiety. And it connects us especially to the one who has power to change everything. So that's prayer. Secondly is peace. Okay, the word here for peace, irene, in Greek is a very significant word. It occurs over uh, or nearly a hundred times in the New Testament. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same as the Hebrew word shalom, okay, which means peace. But shalom, um, which is used nearly 200 times in the Old Testament, it also has this sense of like being complete. It's not just the absence of violence or struggle. That's not what peace is meant. It can mean that. But it often like means like some kind of sense of well-being that comes from a deep relationship with God. It's this kind of completeness or wholeness that comes from recognizing we're made in the image of God and that even though that was shattered by sin, we can be restored in our belief in Jesus Christ and that that has the ability to be made new again in us. And so this sense of peace um, comes from God and it is that sense of like shalom. 
Thomas Merton said this. He said, we are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. So all of these things are united. And so I think what helps is maybe finding the good in things that might cause you to jump to judgment. That's something where we can really find a sense of peace. Like it's easy. It's been easy for me over the past week to jump to these these things of irritation and frustration with people. But what I need to constantly keep reminding myself of is how do I find the good in this person's intentions? What If I believed this person was wholeheartedly coming from a good place, what might their motivation have been? What would my motivation have been if I were to have done something this way? What's really interesting about this passage is that we don't read two verses earlier. And two verses earlier, Paul is addressing two specific women in the church in Philippi. Okay, remember church, the church in Philippi, Paul ministered there. He ministered there with Clement, with other women. It was a church that had a lot of female leadership that he, uh, he taught and instilled in them what it meant to be a Christian. He's writing to them. They're very beloved to him. And so he knows them by name. And so he says in verse two, he says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to come to a mutual understanding in the Lord. He's talking about two specific female leaders in the church in Philippi that he wants to reconcile. Okay, so when he first arrived in Philippi, his first congregation was a group of women. His first convert was a woman, Lydia. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. That was his beloved community. That was who was in charge there. And so that's who he's writing to. You, to. And so when he's talking about having the same mind, he's not just saying generally we need to be at peace with one another, but he is attentive to these specific small discrepancies in this community and how they need to be on the same team. It makes me think of like in a marriage, it's very easy sometimes to fall into the trap of like, okay, who's right, who's wrong. But you have to recognize like we're on the same team. Like if one of us wins, we both win. Like, and if one of us loses, we both lose, you know? So like arguments need to be about like, how do, how do we best, or, you know, if we do have an argument, it should be like, how are we best loving one another? How are we best being or building a family together? It shouldn't be about who's right and who's wrong. And doing that in a way that belittles the other person because then nobody wins. We're not out to get each other. We're not against each other. We're on the same team in these relationships. And so the same thing should be true in life. Like recognizing like there should be no division for me as a Christian. Like there's many times in this letter to the Philippians, it's a short letter, but where he says, where Paul uses this like have the same mind or think in the same way kind of terminology. Think about in chapter two, where he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Okay, and a couple verses later, just the reading we had this past week, have among yourselves the same attitude that is yours in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter three, he says in verse 15, let us then who are perfectly mature, adopt this attitude, have the same attitude. He's very much hammering home this idea that we need to be united And so when we experience division or disunity, that's going to take our peace away. And so the more we can be able to see other people and look at them through the perspective of what is good about what they're doing, how can I interpret them with the best of intentions? How can I refuse to let this take my peace away? And how can I think about the specific discrepancies I have with others and try to come to peace or at least some kind of understanding with them so that this doesn't rob my peace? Okay, so that's peace. So prayer, peace, and then pondering. 
Okay, pondering to think about the right things, good things. Remember, Paul here says, don't just think about whatever. He says, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious, excellent, anything worthy of praise. Spending time in thoughtful reflection. Everyone and everything is an opportunity to encounter God and to know him. Everyone and everything. He cares deeply for all of us. Paul cares deeply for this community. He says in verse 1 of this passage, right before the Euodia and Syntyche verse, he says, Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, beloved. Stand firm, my joy and my crown. That crown was a laurel. A laurel, a a crown that was worn by those who were victorious, usually in athletic competitions of the day. It was a sign of victory. Okay, Paul doesn't name his brothers. He uses a word here, actually, that means yoke fellow in this passage. Um, And that word, it probably, it it, it means probably one of his co-workers, one of the people who he ministered with. Um, And so Luke was traveling with him. He wrote Acts of the Apostles. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he was traveling with Paul in uh, Acts 16. And uh, it says, you know, we sailed away and we stayed seven days uh, in Philippi. And then when it says they sailed away from Philippi, um, he's with Paul. uh, He's with Silas at that point um, when they're asked to leave in Acts 16.39. And so it's very likely that Luke is the person that's there in Philippi that he's writing to, calling his, his brethren, his yoke fellow, the person he is like equally yoked with serving in the Lord with. And so he's pondering, encouraging them to ponder good things, holy things, the things that they can be of the same mind, the same attitude with, like equally yoked in this relationship. And so I think that's that helps us in our relationships to think about like where do we have common ground? How can I ponder and reflect on the things that are good in this situation? Things that are holy and just. If I'm tempted to think about the negative, to gossip about this person, to talk about them behind their back, to think negatively about myself or about others, about my circumstances. That is not what Paul is inviting us to here. And so maybe I need to use these words as a litmus test for my own prayer and my own thoughts on a daily basis. Is everything I think about myself, the world, others, and God, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it gracious? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Is every way I describe the people that irritate me or all the things I say about them true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, gracious, excellent, worthy of praise? When we can ponder and reflect on these things, then we will naturally have less anxiety because we won't be inclined to turn to the irritation, the negativity, the frustration. We will turn to unity, common ground, peace. So brothers and sisters, whatever's going on in your life, take the words of St. Paul this week to heart, to have no anxiety at all, to recognize your role in controlling your response to the things that make you anxious, to recognizing that this has to do with some lack of trust, lack of control, or fear. How do I surrender those things to the Lord? Get rid of sin that might be causing me to be afraid for my soul and be more attuned to the God who I can trust and who is in control. And then when we have anxiety, to respond in prayer, to name it out loud, to surrender to God, to respond in peace, to be unified, to not let these divisions, you know, uh, affect us. 
and to ponder, to reflect deeply on the Lord's love for us and how he wants us all to be one. That is all I have for you, my brothers and sisters. I pray it blesses you. I pray you have a wonderful week. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless. Thank you.